Hello, this is MedTech Africa, the podcast where we showcase digital health and health technology innovations from across the African continent. My name is Veronica Sando-Jambo, and I'm your host today along with Dr. Sam Oti. Welcome to the show. Today we'll be chatting with Dr. Robert Karanja, the co-founder and chief innovation officer at Vilgro Africa. Vilgro Africa is an incubator and impact investor supporting emerging healthcare businesses in Africa. Robert will be telling us about how they are helping health tech startups to navigate Africa's innovation ecosystem with a goal of making each startup scalable. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the chat. Hello, Robert. How are you this morning? Fine, thank you. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Welcome to the show. Asante. Okay. Um, would you kindly introduce yourself to us and tell us a bit about your role at Vilgro Africa? Uh, so, Robert is my name. Uh, I come from Kenya, born and bred. I work with Vilgro Africa. I'm a co-founder there. Uh, we, as you rightly said, we are an early stage incubator, uh, impact investor, working in the health and life sciences space. My background, I'm a biomedical scientist, uh, and I've always wanted to understand why is it when I look at Africa's health statistics, you know, we have the shortest uh, lifespan um, as a region, dying from diseases that, you know, people forgot exist in other parts of the world, and so on and so forth. So lots of health issues that we need to address. And my passion has always been solving problems. So initially as a scientist, but then I discovered it didn't matter what I discovered in the labs. If I invented the next the miracle drug for cancer, it would never see the light of day because we didn't understand how to translate research to impact. So that's what Vilgro is there for, helping innovators, helping scientists, researchers to take the ideas from the lab, from that proof of concept, to outside of academia. So academia, we, we are rewarded by publishing. Uh, what Africa needs is not more publications. Af- Africa needs solutions, life-saving solutions that can translate or, or just change the health narrative for us as a continent and as a people. Perfect. No, I really like uh, what you said. Africa does not need more publications. We need solutions. And, and that is exactly what we are here to talk about, how you're helping Africa and specifically health tech and digital health startups to find solutions to Africa's health challenges. So tell us a bit about the history of, of Vilgro Africa and how you got involved. The history is quite layered. Um, so Vilgro is quite old. We are one of the, do I call it the, the pioneer uh, impact incubators, if I can coin that word. And impact incubator is basically like impact investment, but here is how do you come in early stage as an enabler, supporting innovators to translate their research or their innovations into impact and scale. And so Vilgro started off in 2001 in India, in Chennai, uh, founded by an engineer uh, called uh, Paul Basil, and he had this idea that you can transform rural India through the power of innovation and social entrepreneurship. Uh, to be honest, some of the things that we use, terms that we use, had not even been coined back then. This whole idea of the gold at the bottom of the economic pyramid and social enterprise and all that was really in those formative ages, stages. And, and I think um, in India, one of the things I've come to really appreciate is their Technology base is very strong, especially engineering. So they're thinking of how do we take this mastery of uh, technology uh, and apply it to solve uh, India's problems is what India, uh, Vilgro started doing in India uh, over 20 years ago. 
And at a certain stage with quite a bit of success, uh, they were challenged, hey, you guys have been, really, you're really good at this. Why don't you scale this out of India to other markets that could really benefit from a similar approach? And uh, there's, in life, I think sometimes you can call it serendipity. I think to me, it's divine intervention. Mm. Independently, they did the market research, figured we want to go to Africa, figured they want to come to Kenya specifically as a starting point, and more importantly, even did the market research of what what sector should they focus in. And they looked at the, all of them, the ICT, uh, renewable energy, what have you, but realized there's a very high potential in health, but very underserved. So why not build a hub that, that's dedicated to health? And they, what they partnered uh, in, in terms of uh, thinking out some of this strategy with people like Grand Challenges Canada, whom I had met uh, in my career as a, as a scientist at Cambry. And, and so we were connected. And I was convinced to leave my research career and uh, head up the Vilgro team uh, in those formative stages of in the role of the CEO and uh, building together the team, establishing uh, and replicating the Vilgro model here in Kenya, spread taking it to East Africa. And now we are at the stage of taking it across the continent. We have this really deep, strong, vibrant knowledge base in our academia that just has not been integrated into our economic space. So, so my vision is how do we break that silo? How do we build uh, a hub that speaks to medtech, you know, medical devices? Uh, how do we speak to biotech, the drugs, the vaccines? And, and the beautiful part of it is right now we're in the fourth industrial revolution. So all these things have been transformed by AI and machine learning and robotics. And guess what? Nairobi is hap happens to also be the Silicon Savannah. Again, we're not crying for lack of tech expertise, but these communities are just not talking to each other. So amazing expertise hiding in labs in the lakes of Cambridge, University of Nairobi, you name them. But and then all this other, another amazing community of deep tech. Uh, they are not talking. And then and, and our government also needs to understand how do we then build a mechanism for incentives that now brings these people together, a mechanism that incentivizes more than just publications for the scientists. Uh, and I think for the investor community, what people would love is to see strong innovations, strong IP, uh, and the ability to absorb capital that, you know, because you're not... Um, you have to be de-risked to a certain level. And, 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 and to me, that's what I think we can be able to achieve working in, in Kenya, working in East Africa. And God willing then start to replicate some of that in the other regions. No, that is, that is a very clear picture. So at a high level, I think it's, it's clear to the audience that what, what you're trying to do through, uh, through Vilgro Africa is bridge that gap or, or sort of close the gap between the different silos of innovations that are happening, whether it's in the life sciences, whether it's in a deep tech, as you called it, and bringing all that together and making sure it doesn't end at the level of just academic knowledge, for example, but yeah. that it translates yes. um, into, into innovations, into products that we see on our shelves and that impact uh, everyday lives. So let's go into a bit more detail. You, uh, a number of times you used the phrase, the Vilgro model. Mm. Tell us about that model. For the Vilgro uh, model, we, we, we use the words uh, frugal innovation. You know, if you think about it, 
There was a time when doing an ultrasound, you'd walk and f- find a machine that was massive would kill the entire room. <laughs> I remember those days. Yes. That, that was when I practiced. So. <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, to do an ultrasound, I probably just need that probe and maybe my phone and a Bluetooth connection. And I can get more or less, you know, similar quality to some extent of, of, the, of the images I need as, as a clinician to diagnose or, and what have you. So, so different ways of thinking about the same problem. So, you know, it used to cost about a billion dollars, uh, about 10 years to move, uh, to get one molecular compound from drug uh, discovery all the way to market approval and getting into the market. Now, what did COVID teach us? We were able to create vaccines. The, the minute the sequence of the COVID virus came out, within 24 hours, All the vaccines that we were using to deal with COVID were designed within 24 hours of access to the sequence, the, the, the molecular, the DNA sequence of the, of, the, of the virus. Now, that is just at the invention step. Then you have to understand, for it to hit the market within months, all these steps of moving from uh, in silico to Uh, in vitro, you know, test tubes to animal models to human studies was able to happen in a bit. We didn't skip those steps. Mm. They were not skipped. It's just that we are able with AI machine learning to reduce the attrition rate, the failure rate of all these molecules and identify the high potential ones in silico. And then so that by the time now you're going into the studies, you are success rate is much higher and your path to in terms of the product development is much faster so this is all frugal innovation the challenge is not our ability to develop solutions it's our, it's our ability to move from problem solution fit to product market fit and 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 that is innovation and 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 looking at the business side of the science and and to me if we are now able to take this frugal innovation then now build businesses so even when talking product market and now this is the second part of the vilgro model is understanding our market is not the U.S. market that can absorb, you know, can take any price. We are very price sensitive. We don't have all the money in the world. Mm. And sometimes, actually, death is a viable option compared to getting your entire clan to sell off their land and all their assets for one person to get better. So that we need to be able to think of a, of a farmer business model that is a complete break away from what the world currently knows. It doesn't mean that our, our biopharma industry needs to be poor. All I'm saying is that just like we've shown again with the fintechs, that there's actually money at the gold, of, there's, there's gold at the bottom of the economic pyramid, not just in India, but in Africa too. We need to take our market seriously and understand what is it that our market can stomach, what will it, what's our price elasticity, How can we work within that price elasticity? How do we build business models, you know, high volume, lower margins? Uh, how do we think about that last mile so that somebody who is in Turkana or in the Sahara somewhere still can access healthcare? All right. Um, thank you, Robert, for sharing about your development model. And I think it's a challenge for all of us here in terms of what we can do and what we aspire to for a region. I know Vilgro has expanded not only in Kenya, but generally across the region, East Africa and outside. Mm-hmm. Would you please tell us about some of the um, digital health and health startups that you're currently working with? We, we've worked with so many. Um, so, for example, there is Sophie Bot that is doing 
uh, using AI for reproductive health. You know, so so if if you uh, reproductive health is always touchy, and uh, it's it's one area where the youth need access to healthcare, but there's always a stigma of you know how do I have this conversation with my parents, and uh, I need to, so. so Sophiebot is able to use AI to disseminate information. And if you even want to query, um, you know, again, you can be able to get uh, fairly good validated medical information uh, that allows you to know, yeah, this one you really need to go to hospital or, you know, your, your, your sexual practices should be informed by facts, not by myths and the peer pressure or stories, what have you. So, so, very simple, you know, and I call it simple, but it's not simple. At implementation level, it's it's crazy because when you're dealing with the youth, they don't speak English like we're speaking. They'll have all sorts of slang, mm. <laughs> and, and your 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 tech platform needs to be able to understand this language and how people coin words even as you're speaking by mixing you know different languages. So, so it makes you know applying this, especially targeting the youth, like a super. Uh, it just increases the level of complexity and the headache to it, but but uh, being able to build it and then scale it across multiple markets, multiple uh, countries that will have the same issues of the slang languages and all of that is one of the key things that they are trying to address. Another one, talking of fintech, is you know this issue of universal health coverage. How do we move people from uh, in terms of accessing healthcare from out of pocket payments? To actually having you know either insurance or quasi insurance uh, uh, fintech products that can uh, at least ensure that they seek care when they need it, not when they can afford it. You know, and and we have a, a startup called Clinic Pesa uh, in in Kampala. It's doing amazing. So instead of working with mothers and helping them to save up, bring fenced money for delivery. Uh, and then beyond that now, uh, you know, just uh, pregnant women, but even, you know, just like we have the MTBA here in Kenya, and they can be able to save towards healthcare, or you can receive contributions towards healthcare, so that if I'm even contributing for somebody's healthcare um, uh, delivery, you know, I'm not worried as to whether they took that money and put it in sports betting. <laughs> no, I, I just need to send it to this particular wallet. And, and, and if that money is not enough, you can get a top-up loan. And, and you know, it's, it's very interesting. I was looking at some of their statistics. Uh, just got the market approval in January of this year. Uh, by about a month, almost two months ago, uh, they, they, they had already done uh, loans of uh, more than $2 million. Um, again, just showing the market is there, but looking for solutions that are built for this market. But but I think, okay, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who is a, maybe a digital health, a health tech, biotech mm. uh, entrepreneur, innovator. How, how, just walk us through it, right? How will Vilgro, how will I engage with Vilgro Africa? Mm. What kinds of uh, uh, services, opportunities, uh, will I access by engaging with you, mm -hmm. and, and ultimately to what end? Typically, we we have a, a criteria for selecting those we work with, um, and we kind of want to understand number one: is there an innovation? So, what do I mean by innovation? Is is there? Are you using knowledge in a way that gives you an unfair market advantage? Mm so that you're not just taking a generic player and coming to us and says, fund me to set up a clinic. Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> because there will be no barrier of entry. You know, Everybody can set up a clinic. Yeah. Anybody who's a doctor or a nurse or a mm. clinical officer. So, so how, are you level looking, you know, how are you looking at knowledge in a way that 
it gives me this distinct advantage in the marketplace that and that knowledge can also either be protected either as a trade secret or as a patent or you know whatever but either way your main competitive edge is derived from knowledge the second thing is are you addressing a market that is big enough to scale and to me the easiest way to answer that is when you tell me about your market size at least within africa i need to be seen 1 billion dollar worth mm. of a market size 1 million or 1 billion billion, billion. okay because again you know we are there's this value chain of how this system works you know so so we want to address issues in the marketplace but to get there i also need to work with venture capital and i need to understand what are the needs of venture capital so the, so 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 it also informs our our selection process the the, the third one we want to look at is within that 1 billion uh, market size that you are looking to get a slice of are you really targeting is it geared towards the 1% you know the elite or is it geared towards the mass market and we really want the mass market we don't want those you know you can make money hands over fist but if it's money you know if your business model only speaks to the elite then no matter how good you are there's just a lack of fit um then the other thing that we also want to understand is the team um early stage is really more about the jockey than it is about the horse mm. so i kind of need to understand what drives these people mm. what, what gives them that fire in the belly uh are they committed to this um you know because because we can to us we make an investment and if somebody uh is a quote unquote hustler it doesn't pan out and because a hustler just looks for the f- whatever opportunity makes sense here and now mm. they live in the present i want somebody who yes they understand the present but they have a commitment to the long term mm. and they are fully vested because you know we don't want to be to have an unequal relationship um no you know and, and i've seen cases where you know somebody great innovator great ideas and then the next thing you hear is i want the green card Ideos guys you know I'm going <laughs> off to the US I'm like hello <laughs> you told us you you, you yeah. gave us this vision and told us you're going to do it and uh, now you're telling us you're off just because you got a green card you know that reminds <laughs> me I saw some an article that was talking about entrepreneur as a service that that's becoming the thing now where you have people that just they offer themselves as entrepreneurs they market yes. some idea mm. and once they make some money they yeah. move on to the next exactly shiny thing right or they even disappear <laughs> they disappear yeah and 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 to me so we we really take time to understand uh why are we back in this person because what we know is plan a will never work b will never work mm. c d you're probably getting warm ef is when now mm. this iterative process and it's painful and it you need it's sweat blood guts everything in you um and and then i think lastly we kind of want to always understand the the business feasibility so so you may not have the product market fit actually our work is to help you crack that product market fit but there has to be this approach that makes us understand that it's not just pie in the sky there's actually some business model there that kind of makes sense that we now need to work with you to validate uh so so that's those are the kind of people that we bring on board for for our incubation so and we invest in youth in order to then now incubate you so so we, we the two are not separate mm-hmm. so it's those people that we invest in that we then now incubate and and the reason we do that is because now answering your second question what do you get our approach to incubation is not the you know it's not cohort based it's not we are going to bring all this people together and then we are teaching them how to do financing how to do a pitch no 
we work with you to start validating your business model, uh, bring on board more capital besides our capital. And our idea is we want to be able to get to a point where you've raised a Series A. We will have done a lot of due diligence by the time we're investing in you. Mm. And part of that due diligence will also help us to understand for the follow-on investors that come behind us, what does it take for them to put in investment in you? So then now it's a matter of working backwards and saying these are the milestones that we need to hit. We need to get this. Uh, we need to validate this market. We need to build this product. We need to get these regulatory issues in place. We need to, and we work. We work with you in doing all of that. We need to become investment ready. We have a data room. We have. So we are not teaching. You learn by doing. There's no classroom experience. You know, sometimes it makes sense to maybe bring somebody that can speak to maybe quality management systems. If you're doing medtech and you need to get ISO 13485, we will bring in the consultants that will work with you to implement ISO 13485 in your, in, in, in your startup uh, for your product and things like that. How do you get CE Mark? We'll work with you to, to get that. So, so we, 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 it's, it's a learning by doing because most of the people we're working with are doing it for the first time. And w w our, what we bring is the benefit of experience that you don't have to make sure that you're not going to be tripped up on the small little things. And then even for the big things, if we don't have the expertise, we'll co-opt it into your team. Great. And you mentioned a lot about experience. Can you tell us a bit more about the kind of impacts that you've had so far that are guiding the kind of people that you're taking on and how you move forward with Bilgra? Uh, so, so maybe in terms of um, high level, because uh, sometimes you know, the question is, how do you measure whether what you're doing makes sense or not? And the first thing that we always tell ourselves is, the market ought to tell us. So we, we typically come in at, um, we, we took the first institutional investor that any of the startups that we're working with have met. I think it's maybe in one or two startups that we, that we brought on board that were already generating some revenue in the marketplace. And when I was looking at some of our numbers, I think so far we have about 50 startups that we've worked with in Kenya, East Africa, um, they've been able to generate cumulative revenue of about $15 million. Um, so that, again, because again, if, if we're talking about taking ideas to market, if the market is not buying, what we're doing is wrong. So first validation has to be revenues. Mm -hmm. Then the second thing is also growth because it's all about scale. And so we also want to measure uh, how many jobs are we creating through these innovative startups that are working in the various different aspects of, health, of the health sector. Uh, to date, uh, we have about 600 jobs that we've created. Um, then the third thing is, if we're doing this right, are they being able to raise that Series A? And to date, for uh, you know, a cumulative investment of about $2.7 million from Vilgro, uh, we've seen our portfolio companies raise over $22 million. So, so the market is what tells us what works and what, and what the market tells us this does not work we stop we, we just really pay attention to the market and we pivot because as i said we know plan a doesn't work b c d e f you're getting warm so we want to the benefit of experience is helping you to iterate faster more cost effectively uh, to get to that working formula that product market fit that starts to unlock these other things in terms of the impact, um, we, I don't know that we actually have like health impact statistics, partly because we would love to do that, but we realize it creates uh, another layer of one more thing. 
for this super stressed founder <laughs> to do. <laughs> no, that, but that will come eventually. Yeah, it eventually, will come. it will come. My hope it is that we can actually partner with academia that can come and work alongside mm. us and the startup founders because documentation and impact metrics now in terms of the how many dallies have we saved and uh, you know and how many mortality mobilities have we saved at that level that is a hard and a very scientific academic approach that no startup is going to waste time no 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 business driven person who's trying to figure out how do I make sure there's money to pay my salaries next month <laughs> so so we'd love to have those kind of collaborations because i think the good thing is that the success stories are there uh, and if we're able to package it one of my visions was you know when you go through our business schools and and I'm, you know i've looked at some of the best of them whether you're in uh, uct or here in strathmore or usa whatever our case studies are all american mm. or european or you know in some cases japanese and i'm asking where are the african case studies and how do we write them up and how do we ensure that they come on board No I mean those are very impressive uh, numbers even though you're 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 talking about uh, not having uh, health impacts but yeah. just the business impact yes. that that is absolutely amazing but but I'm sure there are things that keep you up at night <laughs> when working with all these startups uh, tell us about some of those things Ah that, that, that's a good question so a lot of it is um I, you know my my head is now is just thinking more about ecosystem 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 because to succeed it takes more than what you can do so there are those things that i can change you know i have direct uh, control over then there are other success factors that you really don't have success over or direct uh, influence you know things like regulatory and when it talk of regulatory so imagine you know i i, I keep saying this ai machine learning is, is is just driving transforming everything and then i ask myself are we building regulation you know re- the regulatory and policy framework mm. to help us actually get this right um a lot of times i see us um having a reactionary approach not and that's driven out of fear you know so when when you talk to uh, so we have the data protection act and there's the commissioner that is heading it um the question i ask myself is as you're coming up with these laws and policies are you just seeing the googles and the amazons and the netflix and all these other big corporates that are coming into this space are looking for market or are you also seeing the innovators mm-hmm. and understanding how do you regulate those who are at the maturity level of you know these are you know mature industries mm-hmm. vis-a-vis those who are building a, a, an industry out of thin air <laughs> because we can't have that approach for them work here here it comes and kills innovation yeah. and and that nuanced uh thinking and you know sometimes i i feel scared and i ask myself do we really have the are, are we open and we have this 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 um uh enlightenment because it takes more than just knowledge it's how you apply the knowledge uh to ensure that you create the the enabling environment for innovation to take place second thing is those understanding the needs of investors um a lot of the work that we're doing um we have been funded not by our government we have been funded by uh DFIs we have been funded by family offices in the global north and I, you know i really i'm very grateful that they see the dream and the vision that we have and they are putting in resources behind us 
But the first person that ought to see that should be our governments. And when we talk of industrialization and industrialization ends up being the EPZ, Export Processing Zone, mm. where you know, we are saying we don't want to build, you know, if we are talking of biotech, we're just going to say, hey, Moderna, BioNTech, come to Africa and set up this factory and we'll give you, you know, all the tax breaks and cheap labor. You know, mm. what the heck does that do for us? Mm. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and let's do tech transfer. Because to me, that doesn't help us. Uh, there are areas where tech transfer is not going to be our solution. You know, as I pointed out, infectious diseases already, you know, is neglected um, by the big pharma because that's not where they're making the money. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the biggest killers for us. Mm-hmm. So it's not about tech transfer. It's about building the capacity for us to innovate and to translate it to market. So industrialization for me, you know, getting our policymakers, the guys in uh, treasury, um, the economists, to wake up and understand it's about building a knowledge economy. The second part of it is where is our pipeline of these innovators? I need scientists, engineers that are really strong in terms of their domain expertise, but they also need to pick up some of the language and lingo of entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. of uh, venture capital, private equity, because none of us can do it alone. And 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 you know, so so when we when we are not being able to communicate to one another, because English is not English, you know, <laughs> uh, it's it's a very multidisciplinary effort. There has to be a willingness to move out of our silos um, and be vulnerable, because you know, sometimes when you have this big title of professor. You you don't want to acknowledge that I don't know. Mm. I haven't a clue what the heck you're talking about. Because you're probably looking at somebody who you're thinking, this person graduated from my university <laughs> two years ago, five years ago, and now I need to learn from them. What are you talking about? You know, so so uh, some of these things we do need to address. So so to me, it's how do we organize this ecosystem to really build a proper enabling environment? Uh we, we need to make sure that there is a clear value proposition to the academia folks, to the financial markets to the startup founders um, and to you know make sure that again even the government understands how do we how does that inform our international relationships you know so, so it has to be export oriented we can't do knowledge economy for domestic market and if all this is not feeding into our industrialization trade investment policies and there is, a, there is a disconnect between what's happening in the technology and the people on this side. Uh, at some point, something is going to give. You know, so for example, uh, when I look at Kenya, we do need to ask ourselves, what's holding us back? One of the biggest uh, holdbacks is our regulatory uh, agency. You know, it's still at what the WHO calls maturity level one. Mm-hmm. Yet we're seeing investments like Moderna happen in BioVax. And... That requires at minimum maturity level three, mm. if not maturity level four. Even on the continent, how many maturity level fours do we have? At mm. this point, we only have maturity level three. Mm. I think uh, Rwanda, Tunisia, Tanzania, maybe South Africa. So how do we get government to understand this is an investment issue, not trying to tell you know a regulatory agency to be self-sufficient and not to draw from the exchequer? Because that's kind of the mindset that's mm-hmm. happening within the economies. And then they're also telling universities and research institutions, you should be self-sufficient financially. I'm like, show me even Harvard and Oxford and Cambridge. These guys are not, they get money from the public sector. Yeah. 
because R&D is a public good and we cannot expect that this knowledge economy is going to come from. So there are some things we just need a complete reset. Um, and, and, you know, I'm hoping like through platforms like this that we can be able to create that dialogue because, you know, uh, I may not be able to walk into the halls of the central bank and, <laughs> and the treasury building to have these kind of conversations with them, but, but just kind of helping them know that this is Africa in a new era, uh, an era where frugal innovation, social entrepreneurship can make a massive difference. And the last thing, and the most powerful thing for me is we can create jobs. We can create wealth. We can build the tax base for our economies. So this idea of Africa as just a market for value-added products, we will always be poor and we'll always be begging. If we can, at least starting with life sciences, because I can tell you with a fact, as a fact that our R&D investment in life sciences goes back multiple decades, mm. typically at least 40, 50 decades for most of our countries in Africa. But we are still not food secure. We're not, we're still not, we still don't have health security. We need to take that uh, asset and just demand this return on investment, align our macroeconomics and our microeconomics to speak to this bioeconomy sector uh, to intentionally make it work. It can't be done just by Vilgro alone. Uh, it can't be done with all the venture capital investment in the world. It, it, some of this needs to be organized by government. Government will always set the agenda, will always be the one responsible for creating the enabling environment uh, and understanding what are the incentives that make these people come together and sing like a choir, not the cacophony we have right now. You know, I'm here trying to think, is my voice alto? <laughs> <laughs> we, we need, what we need is a choir so that it actually blends together. And where I stop, the next actor in that value chain is naturally picking up uh, and so on and so forth. So, so to me, that's kind of the biggest uh, bottleneck and my biggest headache because uh, it's a conversation that's way big. Um, and the more we're able to draw in different people to this conversation, uh, it, it's not about our scientists and innovators and startups anymore. We, we, need, <laughs> we need also the big guns to come on board and, and not look at it as a bottom-up. I ran away in a bottom-up era, but I think bottom-up has its limits. At some point, we just need proper organization at the top that feeds into this bottom-up so that the whole thing now comes together. Well, on that very, I would say, visionary note. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like, I like the analogy you, you use that we, we need to sing as one choir. And, and hopefully MedTech Africa is where you all come together to, to sing together and, <laughs> Amen. and make that noise yes. <laughs> uh, for the world to hear about the amazing things uh, that you're doing. Well, Robert, it's been an absolute delight having you on the podcast. And I'm going to just shamelessly put myself out there and say, look, all the startups that you're incubating, they are welcome on the podcast as well. So I hope you'll be connecting oh, us with them happy to. Uh, and we'll be happy to, to feature them on, on the show. But thank you so much for being on the show uh, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to seeing this conversation taking off. Thanks. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. MedTech Africa is produced and hosted by Sam Oti and co-edited by yours truly, Veronica Sander Ochiambo. 
The goal of MedTech Africa is to provide a platform for showcasing digital health and health tech innovations across the African continent. Please reach out to us if you have any thoughts on this episode or recommendations of African health innovators that you'd like us to host on the show. You can find our contact details in the episode show notes. Finally, be sure to subscribe to MedTech Africa on your preferred podcast platform. And if you have a moment, please leave us a great review because it really helps other people to find the show. Thanks again for listening and we hope you join us in our next episode.